We're going to continue our series entitled Locker Room Talks because every once in a while we need a coach, we need a friend, we need someone to motivate and inspire us and remind us of what really matters in life. At the beginning of the season, our Golden Gopher football team, they just won their first game yesterday. Way to go, Gophers. Our Golden Gopher football players and their staff had a special locker room talk. But it didn't come from a motivational speaker. It didn't come from a former team. It didn't even come from Coach Kill. It came from a 10-year-old girl by the name of Mia Gerald. Now, Mia had never been to a football game up to this point. And uh, she, after meeting Coach Kill, uh, Coach Kill invited her to speak to the team and the staff and everybody involved before the season started. And this is what she said. She said, when I was told that I was going to speak to you guys... I wonder if there's anything I could say to help you. I guess this is what I've come up with. Life is a gift, and you should make the most of it. And if you're going through hard times, remember your blessings, and that will get you through. Inspirational words, instructional words from anybody, but particularly a 10-year-old girl with an inoperable brain tumor. See, on my... Ninth birthday, she and her mother heard the news that everyone fears. I'm sorry you have cancer. Because of its location, we won't be able to remove it. And after hearing the news, according to the Star Tribune, uh, she went up to her room, and she was alone, and she prayed, and she went back down to her mother. And this is what Mia said to her mother. She said this, I love life. I have no reason not to love life because I've had nine long years of life. Anything that happens now is just extra. It's just sprinkles on a cake. I've had such a wonderful life. I just love life. See, that's Maya's motto. It's love life. Every day is a gift. It's like sprinkles on a cake. And after 30 rounds of radiation, she's still fighting for her life. And she's not scared about her future. She's just asking God for another day, according to her This article in her prayer life, she prays for this. She says, each night I pray for another day. I say, please, God, me, just give me another day with my mom. I guess I try not to think about all the bad things. I try to think of the good things. And the cancer never really comes to my mind. See, every once in a while, we need a coach. We need a friend. We need a leader. We need a young person. We need a 10-year-old girl to remind us what really matters in life. To remind us that life is a gift from God, that we can count our blessings, and that will help us, enable us to get through the tough things that we face. See, every team, every family, every company, every organization, every nation needs a leader, needs a coach, needs a young person to stand up and say, this is what really matters in life. This is what we need to rally around and do for the sake of of others. That's what William Wilberforce did. If you remember, back in 1789, on May 12th, he stood up before the British Parliament and he gave a rousing speech to end the British slave trade. He didn't just talk once. He talked for over 28 years where he finally, they made the decision to abolish slavery. That's what Neil Armstrong did on July 20th, 1969. When he took that first step on the moon, he says, this is one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. And he inspired us. He he helped us imagine a whole other 
world because that's what leaders do. That's what coaches do. That's what parents do. That's what young people do. They help us. They remind us. They inspire us and, and to, to focus on what really matters in life. They help us do the impossible. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus, when his disciples were going through a difficult time, when they weren't quite sure what to do next, when they were doubting if he actually died and rose from the grave, he, he said, guys, go to the mountain. I've got something I need to tell you. And these are the words that Jesus says in his, his final locker room talk. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've conquered your greatest foe. I've conquered cancer. I've conquered everything. I've died and rose from the grave. You've got nothing to fear. So now go and make disciples of all nations. But that's not all he said. Earlier in his ministry, when his disciples were trying to figure out life, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, he gave them a first goal. And the first goal was go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what we talked about last week. That was the understanding that God doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't want our religion. He doesn't want us to go through the motions, just come to church, do a little deal, and then leave. He wants our hearts. He wants us to lose our religion and have a heart of compassion. That was the catalyst for the Do Something campaign. That's why we're wearing these wristbands to remind us that God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be full of compassion for the needs of the hurting and the hungry. He wants us to do something. See, these last two weeks, we've been talking about these locker room talks. Jesus giving us the Great Commission. And then he's also saying, I want you to be a heart of compassion. That's why we have go as our mission statement, because God calls us to go. But he also calls us to love. And this morning's locker room talk comes from a leader that Jesus often quoted. His name is Moses. And Moses the man, the leader that led the people out of slavery, led the people through the Red Sea, wandering in the desert. And just before Moses dies, he gives these words to his people as they enter into the promised land. He gives them moving, inspirational, and instructional words to help them figure out what really matters in life. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, page 178 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen, but this is the Jewish confessional of faith. This is the core teachings of the Jewish faith and the core teachings of our faith. It's known as the Shema, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. And this foundational truth for us about what it means to follow God, what it means to know God, and just before the followers of Yahweh enter into the promised land, this is what Moses their leader says to them, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, These are the commands of the decrees, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. He says, you're just about to make it into the promised land. I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to make it. But these are the words I want you to remember. These are the commands I want you to remember. Just in case you're wondering why God gives you commands. It's not to restrict your freedom. It's not to just give you a long list of things to do. This is why God gives you commands. He says, so that, verse 2, your children and their children and the children after them would fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decree and commands that I give you. So that... You may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. 
just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Moses says, I want you to live a long life. I want you to have many sprinkles on your cake. I want to remind you about what really matters in life. And here is the command of Moses to the people of God just before they enter into the promised land. Here is the first thing he wants them to remember. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, the Israelites grew up in a world where there were multiple gods. There was the God of the Hittites, the God of the Jebusites, the God of the the, 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 the Egyptians, there's the God of the Philistines. There were all sorts of different gods. There were multiple gods, the God of the crops, the God of the sea, God of war, God of rain. There were all sorts of multiple gods, whether whatever nation or whatever land or whatever thing you needed, there was a God that you would turn to. And what Moses says, it's not that different from today, is it? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of gods that we can choose from. You know, there's all the Hindu gods, there's the Buddhist god, there's the God of Islam, there's multiple gods. There's multiple gods and, and, and many people that all, believe that all roads lead to heaven. That as long as you're sincere in your faith, then whatever you believe is okay with you, that you're good with God. But notice what Moses responds. In a world full of multiple gods, not just back then, but today, Moses' first thing was to say, the Lord, our God, our God, the Lord, is one. There's not multiple gods. All roads do not lead to heaven. There's one God. Our God, Yahweh, is the Lord. He's one. Now, the word God there is Elohim. Let me hear you say Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is this rich Hebrew word. It means mighty one. It means sovereign one. In other places in the Bible, it means the judge, the one who rules the earth. He's our God. See, the Lord in this verse is referring to the word that Moses received from God when he says, who are you? What should I tell the people? He says, I'm Yahweh. I'm Jehovah. He says, Yahweh is God. He's the mighty one. Our God, he's stronger. He's better. He's bigger. Our God is the sovereign one. He's the mighty one. He's the Lord. He's complete. He's one. He has everything he needs to be God. He's self-sufficient within himself. He has no needs. He is God. He's the mighty one. Now, I know some people, when they hear that God is only one, that there's only one God, they say, that's so narrow-minded. You know, how can you believe that there's only one God and that God is perfectly complete within himself? I mean, what about all the other religions of the world? What about all the gods of Hinduism or the god of Buddhism? or What, what about all the other religions of the world that seems so narrow-minded to think that there's only one God? But isn't that what you believe about yourself? That there's only one you? Like if I were to ask you the question, or let's just say, imagine for a moment that a reporter would come up to you and say, you know what, I'd like to write a story about you. I'd like to write an article about you. And that reporter asks you a few questions, you know, like, where are you from? Or, you know, where'd you go to school? Or, you know, what, what do you like to do for hobbies? Or where do you work? And, and you go on to tell the reporter, you know, I'm, I'm from Maple Grove. And I work at Target because everybody works at Target sometime. And, uh, and, and you know, I like, I, I really love my family. And uh, I like to go skiing. And the reporter would say, you know what, that's nice. That's really cute. But it's kind of boring. And the reporter says, well, why don't we say you're not from Maple Grove. You're actually from Minneapolis, and you didn't really have a family. You grew up on the street, and you didn't do so well in school. 
because we need a little more drama that, that you didn't go to well school, so you just lived in the library and you played computer games all day. In fact, you got so good at computer games, um, you didn't just work at Target, you're an inventor, and you invented the Internet. Let's just say that. Now, there's a story, right? We're still trying to figure out who invented that, and you did it. Now, what would you say if a reporter came up to you and says, this is going to be your story? What would you say? That's not me. That's not who I am. You're making me into someone I'm not. And that's what happened to God. People imagine God as this God of the sky or God of the water or God of this, and they wrote it down, and other people believed it. And God says, that's not who I am. You can't imagine me to be someone that I'm not. You can't just make things up. This is who I am. I am one. I am self-sufficient. I am the one true God. I'm Elohim. I'm the mighty one. There is not multiple gods. Moses, in this locker room talk, before the people enter into the promised land, he says, this is what you need to remember. In a world full of multiple gods, I, the Lord, your God, am one. I'm holy. I'm perfect. I have everything that I need to be God. I'm self-sufficient. I'm the sovereign one. But that's not all Moses says to his people as they're entering into the promised land. That's not all he says. In verse 5, Moses says this to his people. After describing that God is one, he's the sovereign one, there are not multiple gods, there's one God. He says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your strength, love God. Delight in God. Worship God with all that you are and all that you have. Delight in God as your greatest treasure and highest pleasure. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Sometimes we misunderstand what it means to love God, don't we? I mean, we know what it means to love our parents. We know what it means to love God our children, or another human being. But oftentimes we misunderstand what it means to love God. We think God is somehow a human being and he needs our love. That somehow there's a void in God's life that only we can fill if we love him. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, when, when he was growing up in the church, uh, he was listening to a lesson about creation, how God created the sun and the moon and stars, and he was captivated by this God of creation. And uh, he, he, he raised his hand uh, during this lecture, this lesson. He says, I'm really excited about God creating the world and the sun and the moon and the stars. But I have this question. Why did God create me? Why am I here? And the teacher at the time answered the question this way. Why did God create me? She said this. She says, God created you because he was lonely. And he needed someone to talk to. And isn't that what we sometimes perceive God as, this lonely God in the sky that has some void that only we can fill? And that we misunderstand who God is. We picture a God in the sky that, you know, doesn't have all together, and maybe he's an older man, and he's lonely, and there's some need that he has, this need for love that only we can fill. But that's not true. That's not who God is. God's not singing, LL Cool J, I need love. You know, he's just not. He's not. He's not saying, I need love. That's not who God is. According to the scriptures, according to Moses, God says, I am the one true God. I am self-sufficient. I am secure. I don't need anything. So why do we love God? 
If God doesn't need our love, what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength? What does it mean to love God? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to turn to the New Testament. Because Paul had a really similar experience when he was teaching in Athens. Because like back in Moses and like today, people were believing there were multiple gods. And so Paul speaks into this world about who God is and what it means to love him. So in in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, we read the following. Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus, this meeting of the intellectuals of the day. And he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with, the, with this inscription to an unknown God. And now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. He says, I've been walking around your community. And I've noticed that you're very religious. You show up for church, you go to worship, you've got multiple gods. Remember the Greek gods, the God of Zeus? You know, there's a God of war, there's, there's Poseidon, there's Eros, there's all sorts of different gods. He says, I see that you're very religious. I can tell that you're very spiritual that you have this hunger to know God because you even have an inscription to an unknown God. And what Paul said to the people of Athens, he says, I'm going to describe to you who God is and who the one is you are to love with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And this is what he says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, verse 25, as if he needed anything. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our companionship. There is not some hole in God's heart that only we can fill. He's not a lonely God. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. See, God has no needs. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. He's perfect. He's complete. He's one within himself. So why do we love God? Because we need God. He gives us life and breath. He gives us another day. He gives us the sprinkles on the cake. We love God, not because he needs us, but we need him. We need his life. We need his breath. We need everything that He has to give. So we don't love God because He needs us. It's because we need Him. We need His life in us. We need His breath. We need Him for everything. Verse 26, it gets even better. He says this, From one man He made every nation of men that we should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. He says, you didn't create God in your mind. You didn't imagine God. God created you. He didn't just create you. He set you in this place in Maple Grove. He decided what family you were going to live in. He put you on this planet at this time in human history. You didn't create God. God, the creator, created you. And what it means to love God, what it means to know God, is to depend upon him, is to worship him. See, there there are not multiple gods depending upon us. There's one God that we depend on. It's this God of creation. There's not multiple gods depending on our perception of the world. There's one God that we depend on for everything. He created us. 
And he put us in this spot at this time in this part of the world. And then why? The question remains, why did God create us? Why did God create me? In answer to my friend's question, verse 27 says this, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. The reason why you're here on the planet is to know God. The reason why God created you is to love him, is to worship him, is to delight in him. That's why you're here, to love, to worship, to delight in God as our greatest treasure and highest pleasure. That's why Moses said in this locker room talk before thousands of people, listen, oh people, hear the Lord, the God, he's one, he's perfect, love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Not because you think he needs you, but because you need him. Because God's perfect. God's self-sufficient. He has no needs. Now, maybe this has happened to you. I don't know what's happened to you, but it's happened to me on a few occasions. Let's say that someone has offended you. They've hurt you. They've said something to you that has wronged you. And you in your own heart, or maybe even verbally, said, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need you. You've hurt me. You've offended me. You've said something that was terribly, and you've walked away from that relationship. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Was that just me? I think all of us, if we were to admit that, that happened to us. Someone offended us. Someone hurt us. Someone did us wrong. And we says, you know, I don't need this. I don't need you. And walked away from the relationship. See, here's the truth. God could have said that to every one of us. Because we offended God. We sinned against God. We failed to give God the glory due to his name. We walked away from God. And God could have said to every one of us, I don't need you. I don't need this. I don't need your wandering. I don't need your sinfulness. I don't need you loving other things. I don't need you worshiping other things. He could have walked away, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Although God doesn't need us, he chooses to pursue us. He chooses to love us. He chooses to run after us. He chooses to send his son to die in our place. To live the life we couldn't live, a perfect life, and to die the death we deserve to die so that we might have a relationship with the one true perfect God. See, that's why God's here. God says, although God does not need us, he chooses to love us. He's perfect. He's he's self-sufficient. He's secure within himself. That's why we sing, oh, how he loves us. Because he doesn't need us, but he chooses to pursue us, not for his own needs, but because we need him. It's such a profound truth. Isn't that what the truth of the scriptures is? Because God loves us, we love him. 1 John 4.10 says it this way. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is such a foundational truth. It's not that we love God. It's not that God is lonely and he needs us. It's but he loves us. He sent his son for us. And in response to God's love for us, we love him. We worship him. We delight in him because God doesn't need us. And because God doesn't need us, he can love us without conditions. He can love us with no strings attached. He can love us with the love that can never be earned, therefore it can never be lost, and he's the only one that can do that. No human relationship is a perfect love. No human relationship is ever satisfying. It's only the perfect love of God. Because God does not need you, he can love you without conditions. 
He can love you with passion. He can pursue you with freedom. He can bring you into the family out of his love for you. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, we respond to the love of God and loving him in return. And that's why Moses said in his locker room talk before the people going into the promised land, after they parted the Red Sea, after the wanderings in the desert, before they entered the promised land, he says, love God. Hear, O people of God, our God is one. He is perfect. He's holy. He's self-sufficient. And because he's perfect and holy and self-sufficient, love him. Worship him. Delight in him. Because he loves you. See, here's this theological truth, and I hope you don't miss it. On the one hand, Moses says to the people, God is one. He's perfect. He's holy. And on the other hand, he says, Love God because God loves you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through today. God is love. And the reason why God is love is because he's perfect. The reason why God can care about you without conditions is because he doesn't need you. It's this tremendous truth that God doesn't need us that frees him to love us without conditions. It's this powerful love of God. There's nothing like it in the planet. That's why our mission says, go love, live. Let God's love you. Let God's love change you to be a lover of others. There's a mentor of mine, and he said to me, I was going through a transition, and he says to me, he says, Chad, there's a lot of things that you can do with your life, but your number one job in life is to be loved by God, is to know this powerful, transformational love of God. Because he's perfect, because he loves you without condition. He's the only one that can. And we at Maple Grove Covenant Church, we want to live in that love. We want to experience that love. And the way that we talk about it here is that we want to have personal devotions that lead to corporate devotions. We want personal worship that leads to corporate worship. So when you're programmed this morning, you received a little soap card. You see this when you're walking in. This is our little devotional plan that we want to do as a community. This is a little plan to help us connect with God on a daily basis. There's a little passage of Scripture. It says S-O-A-P, soap, Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's just a way for you to connect with this tremendous God who doesn't need you but loves you and pursues you and has a plan for your life. That's why he put you in the world. And your number one job is to connect with your Savior, connect with this God that loves you. But it's also to have this time of corporate worship, this time together where we gather as God's people and declare our love for God. To respond to God. I was trying to talk to my kids this last week about why we come for worship. I don't know if you've had these conversations with your kids, but I seem to have them more frequently as a pastor. And they, they asked me this question. I asked them this question. I says, I noticed that they didn't sing very much when we worship. I says, why do you think that we come and sing to God? And they're like, I don't know. You know, they, they really didn't have an idea. So they gave me a couple of answers, but really didn't understand what was going on. I said, I said it's kind of like this. You know, we watch these football games every once in a while. And when we see a player make a great catch, what do we do? We stand up and we cheer and we say, that was a great catch. Unbelievable. Can't believe it. He actually caught that. What is that? That's worship. That's, that's ascribing to something value. It's saying that is great. That's awesome. That's what we do at church. We see God as powerful, as the mighty one, as Elohim, and we say, God, he's perfect. He's awesome. 
It's what you do when you hear great music, or you see great art, or you see a sunset. You say, that's beautiful. It's a response to beauty. That's worship. That's why we gather. And I was, I was driving, in my kid, driving my kids in the car, and I told them this little speech about why we worship God, and they, 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 they weren't inspired. So I, I figured out, I got I to gotta come up with something else. And it was my, two of my kids and one of their friends. And we're driving along 94, and we just so happened to see a car pulled down the side with a, a policeman giving him a ticket. And I had an idea. And I said, uh, I says, you know what, guys? One time, you see this car pulled over here? One time, Daddy got a ticket. And I didn't just get a ticket. I was in jail. Oh, and their eyes popped. Their jaws dropped. They're ready to listen, right? I had a captive audience. I said, Daddy actually went to jail. I was 16 years old, driving from Madison to Brainerd for a hockey camp. And I was clipping along pretty fast. And I got pulled over about Menominee. And uh, the police, policeman comes over. My dad was sleeping in the back because it was an early morning ride. And I get pulled over. And uh, the, the, the policeman asked for my license. Well, first he tells me I was going too fast. And he asked for my license, and I happened to forget my license. And you know what happens in Wisconsin? You forget your license, you go to jail. So I go to jail. My dad's in the back seat. He's not too happy. And I, and I drive, follow this, this police officer into jail. And, and while we're, I'm in jail, you know, I ask for my, uh, my one phone call. And um, I tell him he didn't give me my Miranda li- my rights. You know, he didn't read me my rights. And, and uh, so he gets me into jail. And my dad... In the meantime, is uh, calling my mother to, to wire me money up in the, in the Menominee uh, uh, jail. And like those Western Union commercials, you know, where you get the, the, the wire, the money, come up here. And, uh, and it worked, and I was able to get out of jail. And I asked my kids, and the cars were driving along, what do you think I said to my dad after I apologized? What do you think I said? And they all said, thanks. Yeah, that's what we do at worship. We say, thank you, God, because we're all in jail. We've all offended God. We all deserve to be in jail for all eternity. But Jesus came in and he paid our price. And in response to what he's done for us, we say, thank you. We say, we love you. We say, you're not only perfect, but you came down and rescued us from our sin. And in response to what you've done for us, we love you. We worship you. We sing our praises and worship you with our lips and our lives. See, that's what, that's what it means to love God. It's not this pump this thing out. I got to go love God. It's in response to what God's done for us. This is love. Not that you love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a atoning sacrifice for our sin. Our number one job in life is to be loved by God. It's to let God's love fill us and free us in such a way that we can walk in freedom and community. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But now let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for your amazing love. We're we're, we're stunned. We're in awe. We can't even fully comprehend you as the perfect lover, as the God that is Elohim, sovereign and mighty and holy and love. And because you're all those things, you can love us without conditions. You can love us with a love that we could never earn. Therefore, we could never lose. Help us to understand, comprehend, and internalize your love for us. To stand up and cheer and say, wow, you are awesome. To humbly submit ourselves to you and say, thank you for paying my price so I can walk in freedom. God, we are so aware of your presence in this place. We're so aware of your presence in our lives. 
May we receive your love this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our number one job in life is to be loved by God. If you're here this morning, you're not quite sure what that means or have yet experienced that, and you need prayer, there are people here that would love to pray with you. You can meet them here at the front or outside the store to the right at the New Connections table so that you could once or maybe first time experience this powerful love of God. But now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may you experience the tremendous love of God found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.